That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Well, as often happens on the show, you've been listening along with me as I've learned about something. I was completely unfamiliar with Reliance and the Reliance Geo story. So when every A-list pool of capital in the world suddenly lined up to invest in Reliance Geo, I didn't know what the story was, but I knew that this was definitely one of the most important stories of the moment in tech. So after a few weeks of reading around the internet, this episode is sort of my debriefing for you on what I think the Reliance Geo story actually is. And I've chosen to give you this data dump with the able assistance of Bern Hobart, because he was mainly able to read the book that I have not yet been able to read about the whole Reliance story. And so Bern helps us tackle not just the Reliance Geo story at the moment, but also the deeper Reliance story going back to the 1950s and the whole Ambani clan writ large. But also, I chose to do this with Byrne because if you're unfamiliar with his work, I encourage you to subscribe to his excellent newsletter, The Diff. You can find it at diff, D-I-F-F dot substack dot com. I've also got a link in the show notes. I subscribe to upwards of 50 different newsletters, but as I say toward the end of this episode, somehow I end up reading The Diff more than most, because darn it, if Byrne doesn't find some new angle every week on something that I had never considered before. And Byrne knows his business history back to front, which you know I love, and he's an excellent business analyst, which I deeply respect, so he can help me sound smarter than I am when I crib some idea that his newsletter turned me on to. Anyway, please enjoy finally getting to the bottom of Reliance Geo. Burn, I, uh, first of all, I'm a huge fan of your newsletter, um, but I also, I've been dying, as listeners of the show know, uh, to talk to anybody about the whole Reliance and Reliance Geo story, and um, your newsletter was one of the first... Uh, to lead me down a path of research because you actually, I, did you read the book uh, that uh, about the, about reliance in general? Do you, you actually found the book because it's hard to get, right? It, it is somewhat hard to get. Um, you can buy used copies. They're fairly pricey. There are PDFs floating around somewhere. Um, but yeah, the polyester prints, a really interesting book. It's, it only covers the story of Reliance under its founder, and now Reliance is run by the founder's son, right. um, Bunny. So um, it is it is a different company in some ways, but in some ways it is the same company that it's been for a long time. Just it's adapted to circumstances, as successful large companies have to do. Well, listen, I, I even if this isn't the right thing to do, we might end up doing half the episode <laughs> on the whole Reliance story because I'm just such a, a fan of business history. So, um, and then, you know, you wrote that like to understand Geo, you need to understand Reliance. So let's just start there. Um, Indian listeners made fun of me for not being more familiar with the Ambani family and the story, and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, my ignorance is, is only my fault. Um, 
But it turns out that the Reliance story doesn't begin with Mukesh Ambani. It begins with his father. It actually doesn't begin in India. Um, uh, Durabai Ambani was um, in Yemen or something. Give us, a, give us the background of the father first. Yeah, so he was, he was born in India. He moved to Yemen sort of to, to make his fortune. Um, there was a, a trading port that was controlled by the British at the time. And it was just a, a major refueling port. It's actually one of the more important ports in the world uh, for a while. And um, he was there buying and selling goods as a, a young clerk, just um, you know, working in the marketplace, buying, buying and selling spices and things like that. And um, his first real score, the first time he became somewhat famous was um, when the, the Treasury Department, the financial regulators in Yemen started to notice that there was a coin shortage. So we have one of those now. There's one of those then. Um, at the time, they they noticed that the silver coins that were the most common currency in, in circulation there, it was getting harder and harder to find them. And so they asked around and asked around and asked around, and they traced the whole shortage to a young clerk, uh, Durabai Mbani, who was buying all of the silver coins he could get his hands on. And it turned out he had figured out that if you bought the coins melted them down, shipped them to England, sold them for pounds, brought the pounds back, exchanged the pounds for more coins that at the official exchange rates and at the current, at the then current value of silver, you'd actually make a profit. So one of the first ways that he made money was spotting a case where there was a regulation. It made sense at the time it was written, circumstances changed, law didn't change, and there was this gap between reality as the law saw it and reality as the market saw it and he was there to close that gap well and as you as you identify um this is that's sort of that's sort of his his business model his entire life um he he moves to india after that and and reliance is founded in 1957 and you wrote um and i think you were referring to later things he did but ambani identified a discrepancy between the model of reality implied by a government and the actual state of the world, he turned it into an arbitrage and he exploited it. And so essentially what Reliance does for years is sort of exploit, like India is famously, traditionally a very heavily regulated, very protectionist economy. And so he just makes his fortune by constantly finding arbitrage opportunities inside that regulatory regime. Exactly. So um, one of the early things he did was a, a lot of the raw materials for clothing. The, the Indian government wanted to encourage domestic production. So they had high tariffs on different kinds of imported yarn and synthetic fibers and things. And he just had a real talent for, um, it, originally his, his skill was getting import permits. So the, the rule was basically, if you were a clothing manufacturer and you exported clothes, you'd get a permit to import raw materials. And if you didn't, you didn't. So he he bought up these permits from the manufacturers because they didn't really want to be in the business of managing their entire supply chain. They just wanted to manufacture goods and sell them. So he'd buy the, the import permits and then he would do the importing or he would sell those permits to somebody else who needed to import raw materials and turn a profit that way. But he would also do things like buy up all the import permits and then buy up all the supply of raw materials. So suddenly the factories have no way to make clothes. And um, then they have to pay whatever price he asks to, to get access to those raw materials again. But he would also do things like um, he would parse the letter of the law really carefully and find cases where there might be two different tariff schedules applying to two different categories of imports. And 
he might find something where everyone thinks it's at the high tariff rate, but he can argue it's at the low tariff rate. So he imports it and pays the low tariff and then is able to sell it at, uh, at the market price that reflects the high tariff. So that kind of arbitrage was, was also a pretty common thing. At one point, um, as he as he made more money in the import and export business, he decided to get into the more capital intensive part, which is actually manufacturing. But India also had some restrictions on the import of manufacturing equipment. At one point, allegedly, he smuggled an entire factory into India uh, <laughs> to avoid paying the tariff on the equipment. Um, that's That seems implausible. Like there, there have been a couple of places where people have moved entire factories. Like uh, in World War II, Russia basically moved their entire industrial base Behind the away r- from... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, China sort of sort of did something similar because they were paranoid about Russia, where they they located all of their factories in valleys surrounded by mountains and really defensible places, which was great if you're worried about an invasion, but really annoying if you have to actually get trucks to and from the factories. Um, so countries have done this; they've they've relocated their industrial base at times, but usually that's a, a wholesale thing that a country does because they are panicked about a war, not just something. One guy did because he ran the numbers and realized that's actually a better way to make a profit. Well, he is a bit of a cowboy. I mean, there's other stories um, like uh, doing things like cornering the market. Reliance corners the market in its own stock at one point. Let me quote actually uh, from your piece because I love this bit. Perhaps the high point of Reliance's financial engineering was in 1986 when the company publicly stated that earnings would rise, then found that earnings weren't rising after all. So the solution was they just changed their fiscal year to an 18-month fiscal year and record profits were secured. Um, So it's sort of a thing where it's like India's this market that's highly regulated you constant it's it's also famously got issues with graft and corruption but so you have to play ball with the government to a certain extent but what reliance seems to do is not just play ball but play the regulation and the market as it is like a fiddle yeah and one way to look at it is that he he was sort of a politician himself so the reason that reliance couldn't afford to report an earnings miss and the reason that they were talking up their earnings was that he was raising money he was selling stock uh, to fund the company's growth and reliance had sold a lot of stock in in the past they had an enormous shareholder base it, it was um something like one million people by the mid 80s and it's still yeah, let me, extraordinarily why they let me uh, uh, um, let me interrupt you because that's something that i didn't know too that I, I is very important like i was unaware of the fact of how powerful reliance was in india in the sense that you know, it's been around, I think it goes public in the early 80s. And so it becomes the most important company as Indians, as a nation, develop an investor class. So by, I think you're right, the, the st- statistic I found was by 1985, a million Indians own shares in Reliance. So in essence, they have a constituency. And so that helps them play the government because what's good for Reliance is good for all of these millions of Indians. And so the government wants to also keep these millions of Indians happy as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of like the game that, um, that Uber and Lyft and Airbnb play where there are just a lot of people who rely on those companies for their income. And if the, if the service gets shut down, those people, A, have no income and B, suddenly have a lot more free time. So um, Uber has done this really aggressively where they they had de Blasio mode on their app for a while. But um, 
Airbnb has done this too, where they they sort of organize their their power users as a grassroots lobbying organization. Um, in Reliance's case, it's it's unclear how much they directly leverage that, but it is really clear that it's just an incredibly important um, company to a lot of people in India. Like I read um, the Economic Times regularly; it's the, the main business or the main English language business paper in India, and there is extremely regular and thorough and detailed coverage of Reliance. Like basically every day, there is a story about. Uh, there's another interview with a fund manager on whether you should be buying more Reliance because, of course, you own some, or selling some of the Reliance that you own because, of course, you own some, but you never sell all of it. Um, it's it's just a really important, uh, well-loved stock. I found um, a 2004 New York Times article where the headline was, um, a giant so big it's a proxy for India's economy. Um, they did $87 billion in revenue last year, and that represents 2.6% of India's overall GDP. Reliance is the number two energy company in the world. It has 12,000 retail outlets in India, which that's important. We're going to come back to that because that's going to get us into this story. Um, I also wasn't aware that there are, are you aware of this? The, there's the two feuding sons, Ambani yes. sons. And so there's two different reliances. There, there were. Um, okay. Mikesh did very well. Um, the other one, his name escapes me at the moment, did not do so well. So yeah, Anil, there was, there was Anil Amani. Anil, yeah. He so there was there was a dispute over who would inherit the fortune, who would inherit the the institution. They had to split it up, and um, Reliance has always run with a lot of leverage. It's always been trying to grow very quickly. It's always been taking risks and trying to transform itself. And if you do that enough times, eventually something will go very wrong. So it it happened to go wrong for Anil's side rather than Mukesh's side. Um, and, and now there's basically one reliance left. So, and that reliance is the one run now by Mukesh and it essentially is geo, which let's go ahead and skip to the geo story. Now geo is a hundred percent, his vision, correct? That's, that's right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a really incredible story that they, they basically, they went to a market where, um, Data was so expensive that there was, there was this piece in the information a while ago that, that said that the normal behavior for um, people in India who had a data plan was turn, <clears throat> turn off data when you leave the house or just turn it on only when you need to use it because otherwise you're just going to get eaten alive by these data charges. And Geo charges substantially less for data. And um, they were basically able to completely crush the pricing model that the, the other carriers had. And we're able to grow the business to um, just under 400 million subscribers as of their, their last quarterly update um, in in just a couple of years. And they they've also tried to um, tried to expand the suite of services that are available on Geo. So they launched Geo Meet, which is a pixel for pixel clone of some parts of Zoom. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, let, let's let's get to that in a second. So sure. I, I just want to clarify. So Geo is the mobile arm of Reliance, so that's why it's Reliance Geo. Um, I didn't realize how recently this happened. Geo only launched in 2016. And so it's, it's launched into this market with entrenched players, but it takes off because, I mean, were they, were they essentially just subsidizing this? Were they running it as a loss to, to butt their way into the market because they had, you know, they have the oil money and all that other stuff to, to lean on? Yeah, pretty much. Like it, it certainly was not a model that 
would work just independently if you didn't have to raise um, raise outside money. They did raise a lot of money. They borrowed a lot of money actually to fund the initial growth of Geo. And and so now like this has been the wedge to do everything. Like so now, you know, you can buy a Geo phone for a couple dollars. Um, the 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 data plan is like 26 cents per gigabyte. So it's affordable. Um, and so geo platforms, when we talk about, uh, when I talk about on the show, you know, they're investing in geo platforms that was established only in October of last year. And the idea is, is it's consolidating everything. Like there there's, if you get a geo phone, you can have all of these geo apps on it. Um, as you're describing, it, there's there's a, a Zoom clone, there's a Geo Music streaming service, a Geo web browser, Geo messaging app, Geo streaming TV app, um, and so all of these apps come pre-installed on the phones. Most of them are free, and then that doesn't even get into the tying it into the marketplaces and things like that. That's right, and the marketplace is is probably where their biggest ambitions lie. That they. A communications app, um, money money is usually the most valuable bit of communications that you can transfer. Like if you if you look at where communications networks develop, um, typically when there's a new way to communicate with lower latency over longer distance, the first thing it's used for is transactions. Like the first transatlantic cable was used just to transmit the exchange rate between the dollar and the pound rapidly between London and New York. And um, currency traders still refer to the dollar pound exchange rate as the cable even though it's been a century and a half. Um, there are all sorts of low latency records that get set by high frequency traders who want to know um, as quickly as possible what, um, what the price of S&P futures in Chicago should be based on the last millisecond of action on the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, yeah, anytime you have a communications medium it is, and it works, it's going to get used for financial transactions. And the great thing about mobile is that it is, it's both a communications medium and an identity service. So typically people will have a mobile device. It's connected to all of their social media, their email or other identity services. It has a unique number. So you actually have a numerical ID for everyone. And um, as, as long as you're not super worried about SIM hacking, um, you can you can use someone's ability to receive a text on their mobile number to verify their identity. So it basically builds in a lot of what you would need for a mobile payment system. And that's a really good reason to subsidize it, especially if you're Reliance and you also have 12,000 retail stores. So you can build a mobile payment system that immediately has a footprint of 12,000 retailers who accept it. Presumably, they accept it and give you some kind of cash back for, for using their payment service once that, once that gets and rolling. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. 
Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features features help you say the right thing at the right time every time plus you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to constant contacts best in class 97% deliverability rate i use this and you should too tackle any challenge with constant contacts expert live customer support plus everything's backed by their 30 day money back guarantee so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is a bit of an aside, but I just learned about this recently, is that Geo... Well, first of all, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So first of all, that brings us up to today where they've basically flung the door open to investors and they've raised $20 billion from just about anyone who's anyone and the opportunity that they're offering here is number one, everyone's wanted to crack the Indian market, be you Amazon, be you Google, be you whoever. I mean, be you Ford, I don't know. Um, but also, uh, it is, I guess the model is, is the super apps, as we've talked about in, ch- in, in China and other places in Asia, where um, basically the entire society can run inside an app and Geo is essentially cobbling that together? Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Like they are, they're a big enough chunk of the economy that a lot of the things that you would do, a lot of the economic things you would do in India are ultimately going to touch something that Reliance owns anyway. So they may as well actually formalize that by having some kind of everything app. And what is the uh, one thing that confused me and i'm curious to know if you have any thoughts on this is why does reliance want everyone as a partner you know what i mean like there doesn't seem to be any strat i mean there's obvious strategy to it because everyone can contribute something to this sort of utility belt that they're creating if they're creating a super app and a super platform but why facebook and google and like it seems like there could be a too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing do you have any thoughts on that on why they're basically taking all comers right now yeah, so there's 
One theory is the very narrow balance sheet theory where Reliance borrowed a ton of money to actually build this platform. And so they had a lot of debt and they said, we're going to pay down our debt. And um, that was a much more plausible thing to say pre-COVID. But they did have this one hot asset that they could they could sell off chunks of the equity at a very favorable valuation. So one reading is just it's opportunistic. There were investors with cash on hand. There's there's reliance needs cash to pay down debt, and and so they they meet in the middle and sell a stake. And then there is the other possibility that they're they're trying to import some of the some of the talent, some of the strategic ideas from from these outside investors, um, and that that could have mixed um, mixed benefits. Like clearly, Facebook and Google have done very well in the in the India market, but it's also it's an idiosyncratic market. Like it's it's a huge huge country, um, a lot of different languages spoken, a lot of different norms, like getting getting payments right in India has been very tough for, for US-based um, multina- technology multinationals for a while. So um, there may be, it may be that Reliance actually has a lot of the local knowledge. So the, the semi-cynical view that is basically they're going back to their roots is Facebook and Google realize that in the long run, Owning any kind of communications platform, the way you monetize that is through some kind of payment system. And that if Reliance wants to do payments in India and Facebook and Google also want to do mobile payments in India, Reliance probably wins. So if you if you don't want to compete head to head with both Reliance and the Indian government, then probably the best thing to do is cooperate with them. Okay, that's an important point that I want to come back to at the end, but. Um I, I, that, that, that continues to be my confusion. Like, so clearly we know why Facebook wants in because Facebook wants to basically turn WhatsApp, which is already hugely popular in India, into a, a Facebook-owned version of um, WeChat, right? Um, right. And, and, and own the payments and things like that. But why doesn't Geo just want to do that for itself? Like, I feel like... This is what this is sort of my confusion, is why are they giving away... Okay, they're clearing out the debt, but... Um, I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Like they seem to be this company that wants to do everything. And so why, why bring all the cooks into the kitchen when you can just cook it up yourself? Yeah, it, it is somewhat tough to parse their strategy. Like when, when the Facebook deal was announced, it, it looked like, and the narrative was, this is the Facebook deal. Facebook is working with Reliance Geo and together they're probably going to own mobile payments in India. Isn't that wonderful? And then every new deal made it a little bit more complicated and every new deal also tilts things a little bit more towards they they would rather have the cash and it is it is something that you could plausibly invest a lot of cash in if you are a sovereign wealth fund or a private equity fund and you're just looking for places to to put a large sum of money and and maybe maybe there is some view on their part that they it is such a big company. It's doing so many things. And mm-hmm. um, some parts of the business are just getting destroyed by COVID, probably temporarily, but in some cases, there could be some permanent problems. Um, they they may be feeling very risk averse. So they sort of have this, They you could think of them as this portfolio of different businesses where they have the huge refining business, they have the retail business, and then they have this uh, telco business that if it were publicly, if each of those parts were publicly traded, Retail stock would be down, refining stock would be way mm, down, mm. and telco stock would be way up. So, in some ways, they're just rebalancing their portfolio. Mm. They're saying, "We don't want to have all of our family's dynastic wealth just betting on this one company and making a very levered bet on a tech growth company. That we'd we'd rather 
have things a little bit more even. And the way to do that is to sell some of the winner. Right. Cause the other one that's obviously, um, obvious to us here in the States is the deal with Google. So Google will help them make Android based phones, but they've already been doing their own phones. And, but then, so, uh, it, this gets to the, uh, reliance and geo being so close to the Indian government. Um, I was reading pieces that said, you know, it's no, it's no accident that this is happening now at the same time that there's been this sort of nationalistic back and forth between India and China. Um, and like, so even the thing that I just learned recently was that um, Reliance is saying that they're going to build out a complete full stack 5G network for India with all Indian technology, all Indian homegrown stuff and everything. And so then you can see down the road, the play is, is like, all right, if everyone doesn't want to do business with Huawei, if, if their 5G network proves out, then suddenly they're the, the one global alternative to Huawei to building out telecoms networks. Yeah, some of it, some of it is this fairly nationalist digital sovereignty kind of story where you have a limited number of, um, there are a limited number of countries that can produce 5G equipment. And basically because Huawei has been so aggressive and because there's so much uh, uncertainty around who controls them, what their end game is, how many of the security holes were accidental and how many were intentional and how many we haven't found yet, um, it has turned into this national security issue. And if you are a nationalist politician and you're in a country that actually does have a large tech sector domestically, it does feel like a failure to say, um, we're, we're not going to totally surrender to China. We're going to totally surrender to the U.S. or we're going to totally surrender to Japan or something like that. Like it, there is a good nationalist case from a political standpoint for doing it yourself. Um, they have been spinning things a little bit when they say it's, it's home, homegrown. Um, they bought, they bought a company when they were starting to do this um, a couple, about two years ago, and it was an Oregon-based company that was doing a lot of 5G-related research. So um, maybe maybe they bought it and threw out everything that company did and rebuilt it from scratch. But I think some of the technology that they are using now, they did they did acquire elsewhere. But it is it is still true that they are they're trying to build a full stack system. They're trying to offer an alternative to, to Huawei, an alternative to, to some of the other major 5G players. And um, it, it's plausible that they'll be able to do this. Like, if nothing else, they have a really good anchor customer in Geo itself. So they, they actually have the economies of scale necessary to, to justify this. And then um, they, the, the market that they're operating in is protected when it needs to be from competition from uh, other countries. So they they would potentially be able to capture market share among other other carriers in India, and and then it becomes a question of um, of price. Um, there's India. I don't think a lot. Of, I think a lot of people are suspicious of U.S. based companies. Like outside of the U.S., you can be suspicious of U.S. based companies as potentially an indirect arm of American foreign policy. You can certainly feel that way about. Um, hardware companies in China, but with India, it just doesn't feel like there are a lot of uh, a lot of reasons to be really worried about this um, incredible ambition to control other countries far away. Whereas the U.S. the U.S. has definitely had that um, and had that for so long that Americans are are sort of blind to the extent to which the U.S. Uh, very deliberately tries to call the shots globally, and um, and China has that in a much more visible way. So 
India is um, it's it's kind of it is nationalist, but it's actually the most neutral of the nationalist options you can choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, going back to the fifties, but uh, <laughs> um, when they straddled the the fence in the Cold War. So to, to bring it back and put it in a bow, the other reason, I mean, the obvious reason that everyone wants to invest is you know, a market of a billion people of which 600 million of them still don't have smartphones or access to the internet. But uh, famously, India has been this hard market to crack. People have been like, well, you know, after China comes India for more than a decade now, and and no one one in the West has really been able to be super successful. It's not like it's been all failure. But essentially what Geo and Reliance offers all these partners is a concierge that gets around all of that stuff that has this close relationship with the Indian government that, that uh, can spare them from bureaucracy and red tape and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, that's a model that has worked in other countries. And um, like, I think in a lot of cases, if you're, if you're in the U S and you're talking about a country or you're talking about a company where they, they may pay bribes. We don't know. They have this really tight relationship with the government. Sometimes their competitors all mysteriously have to pay giant fines and no one really knows why, or their, their international competitors get kicked out of the country and no one has a great explanation for, for why that is other than reliance wanted to be. So like, it, it's really easy to say that this is just totally damaging and pathological. But I go back to this quote from uh, Samuel Huntington, who's writing about corruption. And he had this, this line, um, I'll, I'll paraphrase, which is, the only thing worse than a corrupt and incompetent government is an incompetent government that is scrupulously honest because <laughs> the corrupt government, like they'll have bad rules and then you find a way to rape those rules. And as the country gets richer, it gets more state capacity and is actually able to, to write better rules. And that has been a factor in India for a long time. There's um, one of the hypotheses is that because India has a lot of English speakers that a lot of the Indian elite is educated in in Western countries, and so um, a lot of a lot of India's um, norms around regulation come from fairly rich countries that actually have the budget to to enforce them. So a lot of Indian regulation it's um, it's a good idea in theory. It's a good idea for a country with a uh, a rich country's GDP per capita, but it's just not not something you can implement if your GDP per capita is is two thousand dollars a year and um, and and a lot of people just are not directly connected to the government. That said, India has actually done some really impressive work on on things like um, having a national ID system. So they're they're actually um, in in some cases able to to show a lot of state capacity. So we we might be reaching this point where reliance is is able to raise a ton of money. It's able to exert a lot of influence, but we're getting to peak reliance where you don't have to rely on these really sharp private sector arbitrageurs to find ways around rules that the rules are actually slowly converging on, on reality. But even then, I mean, the, the, the overarching thing is still there's 600 million people. There's, there's an entire North America and Europe (laughs) that still haven't gotten on the internet yet. So, I mean, if nothing else, that's an amazing opportunity that no one can pass up either. Um, Burn the the diff is your newsletter that is one of my favorite newsletters. Uh, tell tell people about that. Sure, the diff um, diff d i f f dot substack dot com. It's a newsletter on inflections in finance and technology. So I'll write about anything from. Um, 
digging into prospectuses when tech companies go public, talking about deals like Microsoft and the TikTok negotiations, to, to talking about things like um, why are Mexican, why are remittances to Mexico rising despite a serious recession, or what is what is the theory behind reserve currency? How how is the investment business changing as investors get access to more data, but their fees get lower? It's it's pretty broad based. It's really looking at anything that is changing fundamentally, and really the two the two parts of the economy that that change the fastest are technology. It changes the fastest just because it something goes from totally impossible to ubiquitous and it changes everything and finance changes really fast just because everything always gets pushed to whatever its reasonable limit is so if you if you find a trade that works you borrow money and do that trade in larger and larger size and so does everyone else and then there's too much borrowed money something goes wrong and that whole trade collapses quite viciously. So, so finance is also full of these rapid inflection points. And, and that's what I'm interested in. Interested in the ways that the world changes, not on some really linear, straightforward path, but where, where the chart has these crazy whooshes in it. Well, listen, I have to subscribe to a million newsletters for my job, and I'm not exaggerating. Yours happens to be one that just... For whatever reason, bubbles up above, <laughs> bubbles up above the scrum every week for me. So, um, thank you, Burn, for coming on uh, again. The the newsletter is the diff at, on Substack, and thank you, sir. Thank you.